0: Welcome to MCS Pentecost, Pentecostal podcast about theology and life in the Spirit, featuring both scholars and practitioners. MCS Pentecost are produced by Masters College and Seminary in Ontario, Canada. I'm Van Johnson, Dean of Masters Pentecostal Seminary.
1: You are listening to Part 3 of the Pentecost how to preach and teach through a crisis an interview with van johnson and peter newman interviewer jonathan smith lead pastor one church toronto
2: but uh, let's lean in a little bit here and the question uh, to both of you is this what does the pentecostal tradition offer us in this time of COVID? are there any lessons that we can learn from it
0: um Every tradition has its strengths. I think one of the strengths of the Pentecostals was maybe not so much anymore but was the fact that they gained their identity, and we talked earlier about the importance of identity as the people of God. I think Pentecostals understood that their identity was uh, the end times people of God. So everybody knows that Pentecostals draw heavily on Acts 2. What is not always seen is that it was the eschatological phrase of Peter that helped uh, solidify in Pentecostal's minds who they were, right? Peter said, this, this is what happens in the last days when God pours out his spirit. So Pentecostal said, okay, we're people of the last days. Okay, so I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be careful not to go too long here on this, but I'm just fascinated with how eschatology works between the variables of space and time. And what the Pentecostals did here was they time shifted quite radically. They go from early uh, early 1900s and zoom back to the first century and adopt and adopt the the uh, conviction of the early church that these were the last days, which then propels them to the end of history. That's that's radical time shifting, and so time and space are interrelated. So when you when you take the temporal aspect, it changes the spatial. And Pentecostals quite naturally reduced their emphasis on the spatial because time had changed it. Time became larger. The, the immediate spaces around them uh, lessened so that we might say um, they became more interested in redeeming people than redeeming the the space around them. Okay. But what's really interesting about what the Pentecostals did was and again, I'm mindful of the time. Yeah, already 1245. Uh, Is that this time shifting made Pentecostals very active participants, they engaged, rather than um, isolated. They did not take their status as end times people as let's hunker down, store away in barns, pile all our toilet paper in the garage. But they but they went out and they said, if it's really this kind of time in the world today, then we need to go do something. The spirit is enabling us. And that's what I hope we recapture. Anytime we're at a fragile point where we say, hey, we don't know how this is gonna end. This is when the Pentecostal tradition says, well, okay, engage, (laughs) don't retreat, right? Okay, so on the bibliography, there's two things. If you're interested in this, uh, there's an article that I wrote, Eschatology and Pentecostal mission—you'll see it referred to there, where I developed this space-time thing. The other thing is, and since, since my pastor is here, thank you for sponsoring this. This past fall, we did seven weeks as a church on eschatology. Oh, what a gift! We uh, we did we did seven teaching videos, and those are available. There's a price point to them, but what's interesting about that is this is great for young adults. It's great at this time. It's not directly related to COVID. We don't mention COVID. This was the fall. But you might want to take a look at that and consider it for a young adult's Bible study. You know, maybe, maybe even, Jonathan, we should be thinking about uh, adjusting it a little bit in light of what's going on. Maybe you could change the price point for somebody who just want to do it personally. But th- there's a place on the site where it says, um, you know, tap on this if you want to keep look at some updates. So I'm really interested in this. I think this is the strength of our tradition. So those are two things, two places where you can go uh, look at this a little bit more. Peter, what
1: do you think? Uh, a lot of good lot of good uh, points by Van um, concerning the strengths of, of early Pentecostals. So the idea that they were centered on mission, centered on a future. They believe they were being caught up into God's plan and you know, God's God's ultimate dreams, his um, His hope was about to be realized among them. And the motivation for mission and to do something, uh, it needs to be recovered. I think that's extremely important. So that eschatological framework, allowing that to motivate us for mission, uh, they expected to see the signs of the kingdom manifest, uh, salvations, healings, deliverances, uh, God speaking, uh Feeling the close, tangible presence of God, all of that helped them in living for God, being faithful, and and also motivated their mission. Uh, I will say, as part of the tradition, there there's things that we have to be careful about. There were some weaknesses, as as Van mentioned, within every tradition. There's their strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes uh, the, the they chased signs. Um, you know, an earthquake happens, and this means that was because that city did this, and and Van outlined that well earlier that. There's a nuance to how we understand judgment. Uh, One concern I do have is that Pentecostals adopted from their culture uh, pragmatism, um, North American pragmatism, and put it on steroids. And it it means this, that they felt caught up in God's mission, yes, they're going somewhere, yes, but they developed very little patience if something isn't seen immediately or doesn't work immediately. Mm. And God doesn't work that way. So, if a strategy doesn't work, or if something is seen to be working somewhere else, we're going to go there. We're going to do that. And and I would just suggest that as for those Pentecostals that are listening, especially during a time of crisis like this, wondering what do we do now? What do we do this Sunday? What's the newest technique? The newest thing? Um, it, be a little bit more patient with yourself. God is not nearly as worried about this as we might be. I don't mean don't be concerned with the responsibilities that we have, but a longer-term patience is going to keep us from burning out. And, uh, you know, growing up in Pentecostalism, you get this, this strong zeal piece to it. And that it works very well for short-term. Um, but in the long-term, it, it can tend to lead to burnout and maybe even some people getting discouraged in the faith. I think we need to look at this as a marathon. And Jonathan, I've heard you use that term a lot. My own pastors use that a lot. I think it's wise. Let's get a little bit more patience in here, but that doesn't mean giving up the mission or the eschatological framework. It just re- so it means realizing God's working in a longer, uh, a longer time frame.
2: Man, I'm I'm so glad you said that, Peter. I think uh, everyone's grown up in a different tradition. I'm an East Coast kid, grew up in uh, a Pentecostal church, and I think spiritual formation was always, and certainly spiritual disciplines and everything, were not a part of our regular narrative because uh, they take time and patience to develop in people and individuals. But even in the season, you know, as I'm talking to pastors, uh, you know, I I, I really hope, you know, as we try to maximize whatever tools or whatever God's given us, you know, uh, it's not about uh, competing with anyone. It's not about it's about using what God has placed in your hands. I often think of David when he faced Goliath. we don't we don't marvel at that sling, but that was an interesting piece of technology that that was used by David in that moment. But we know that that uh, that piece of technology meant he didn't have to be coming close to Goliath, but at the same time, it was it didn't get the glory. It was the God of Israel that got the glory that brought the victory that day. And i I think too, we we become overly dependent. And overly, I think uh, those things that glitter sure catch our eyes quickly. And uh, I feel like that organic, uh, systematic, patient growth. That, that I mean, we're we're playing a long game, not a short game. And I know often that urgency piece is that that short game. When we feel that urgency to to do and to be and to to accomplish, it's that old youth pastor narrative: let's go win the school for Jesus and. And of course, when they hit university, they realize this this doesn't quite work that way. So, uh, Peter, I thought that was some wise counsel. Thank you for that. So I'm going to put both Van and Peter on the spot because of time. If you were in our shoes, leading preaching, teaching each week, what are some uh, narratives or texts or themes in our preaching or teaching, let's get really practical here, that you think we should be majoring on? So I'll turn to you first, Van, and then Peter, if you'd like to chime in, that'd be great.
0: So you have uh, you, you have these two dominant ideas in the Old Testament. Exile and exodus. That's really cool to work off of. Right. Exodus moment of, of deliverance. Uh, exile when our, our rebellion puts us back in isolation. Uh, so I'm looking at the great exilic prophet Ezekiel last night. And if I was doing a series right now, I'd probably do it on the first two or three chapters of Ezekiel. You see him tell you very clearly that he's in exile in Babylon near the river Kabar. And he says immediately, I had a vision. I'm thinking, okay, that's good. (laughs) It's like it's like Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died. Great king. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Like Stephen saying, as the rocks are coming upon him. I see Jesus and he's standing up, right? Here's Ezekiel. I'm in exile. And at the end of chapter one, he says, I've just seen the glory of the Lord. Okay. So you've heard Peter in particular talking about suffering as part of our lives. Here is glory revealed in suffering. You wonder if he would have seen what he had seen if he wasn't in exile. So I I would and then you go to chapter two and three and then you see the message of Ezekiel, what he's told to tell the people I would go there. If I'm going to the New Testament uh, and time, time is an issue here. um, First, Peter probably addresses suffering. uh, As much as any New Testament letter does, I'd go there. And what's really fascinating, what you'll notice immediately is that Peter says, let's understand suffering in light of our identity. As aliens in this world, people of God, right, strangers, that's really interesting. Handle suffering in light of who you are. Okay, that's good. Then if I was invited back for a third week, I would go to 1 Thessalonians. Pastor Jonathan, you're hearing this? I got great sermon ideas. I would go to 1 Thessalonians that deals a lot with the end. And here's where I would go. I would re-preach the great sermon that people often use for the rapture. Now, whether you believe in the rapture or not is beside the point. It's the return of the Lord. And notice in light of what we've been talking about, about separation and isolation, that 1 Corinthians 4 or 1 Thessalonians 4 is that great passage that says, hey, look, when Jesus comes, even the dead, and some of us know some who have been taken by COVID, some of the 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 dead in christ you know they're not going to be left behind you're not going to be in fact they're going to rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught together to be with the lord there is the hope that when he comes we're reconnected so uh those would be my preaching ideas hey
2: well now i know where to go thanks but we're in this year-long series on the book of luke right now and that's kind of your fault too hey great 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 book Yep. Hard hard to lose on Luke. Yeah. Uh, Now listen, uh, um, Peter, just, and you've, uh, you've already been leaking this throughout uh, This talk it has been so good, but if this is an opportunity for spiritual formation, maybe even to change in the way we do spiritual formation in the church and some of the things that maybe uh, we could be healthier on the other side of this because of this moment. Could you speak a little bit to that? What are those areas of spiritual formation that you see potentially emerging out of this moment?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I, I liked, oh, by the way, all of Van's uh, suggestions there. But he would point out as a, because uh, I'm in the theology department, I usually don't use the Bible, so it's good to hear these suggestions. So I appreciate Van. No, but uh, the the idea of of this is an opportunity to refocus on who we are as followers of Jesus. Does he have our allegiance? Are we his people? Right. So that that theme in Peter, you are the people of God all of those types of things, um, I I think are all really important. And by way of spiritual discipline, anything that can get us focusing on the fact that there's there's a longer-term picture in mind other than our retirement uh, is going to be helpful. Developing patience and not panic in the midst of this. And something to help us begin to reveal and identify What are the cultural narratives and what might even be, let's call them cultural idols. So the idols, I don't mean figurines here. I'm talking about the way the Bible talks about it. These are things we give our trust to more so than God. A very, very helpful book on this outside of the Bible is uh, James K.A. Smith's book, You Are What You Love. A fantastic book on helping us understand how culture regularly shapes and forms us Look, anything we do repeti- repetitively, anything we speak or act, this is why worship is, repetitive worship is actually so crucial. Um, anything we do repetitively is discipleship. But we are either being discipled for Jesus or we, be, we are being discipled for whatever cultural narrative is out there. there there's no neutral space here. Uh, it's, and it's, well, the reason we get so shaped in cultural narratives is that we don't even know that they're happening. And we feel them deeply. And that's part of the reason why sometimes uh, I I feel panicked or I feel other things are out of play. I want things to be normal. I've been taught that by my repetitive actions because of what I've been fed and enacted in culture. So I think understanding those cultural narratives and James K. Smith's You Are What You Love is is really helpful there. So a season for identity formation, uh, trusting in the Lord, not panicking, all of those types of things.
2: Man, that's a great book. I love that book and a great recommendation. Uh, we, when you talk about shaping culture, Peter, like, uh, we also have a church culture. And I think those of us who lead church, you know, there are moments when you change something. It's not biblical. It's not even theological. It's a cultural thing that's been elevated to maybe even a unhealthy level in the church. So, uh, maybe Peter, just, uh, like as we, as we, uh, are cognizant of the culture and the world around us that can so easily influence, you know, our teaching or preaching, or even our leading. But what about the stuff we built in church world that are may, it's maybe not biblical or theological, but that's the normal people want to go back to. And we have this strong sense, at least those that I'm talking to, that um, it's not going to be the same on the other side. Things are shifting. So maybe speak a little to that, Peter. Well, this
1: is a this is a this is a big question. Um, yeah, I think this is an opportunity for us to reflect on what it is we do as God's people, especially as we gather. What is most meaningful for us? I was speaking to one uh, children's pastor in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago, who said that the initial response was we're going to provide sort of virtual tools for parents as they take care of their kids, and she she quickly realized what the parents appreciated most were not online tools or, or figure they could figure out some of that for themselves, but it was the phone calls and the care and the share that was happening. That was, that's powerful, you know, for us to realize, okay, maybe, you know, we've got to, we have to have that connection, but our, do we have to produce a show? Do we have to have that stress upon ourselves, especially for mid-sized smaller churches to try to do what they're not resourced to do? Puts an awful lot of pressure on pastors, a lot more work to not only create a sermon, but then cater it to be online and getting all the rest of that up. Um, so I, I think we're in a time where we can reflect on what's, what's really important in that regard. We're going to learn some things. Uh, some things might go back to the, to the way they were. I wonder about the way we do um, worship and, and uh, don't want to get into that discussion too much, but just maybe say, well, okay, what is it we're trying to do there? If worship is a discipleship formation opportunity what should it include? What will get us to the ends that God is aiming at, as opposed to what will immediately satisfy right now what we want? And I'm not saying dispose of the other, because I think those psychological elements are helpful spiritually as well. But placing it in a, in a bigger story that this is a formational moment, and just taking the time to think, think through those things, and it'll be different in each cultural setting. Um, but I think those are important questions to be asking
2: and that that's great peter i was thinking of uh years van led worship here it was a discipleship experience it was more than uh the music we were singing but i do think there is psychological connection for each generation they're going to connect to styles or moments that can be part of that spiritual formation moment but what a great opportunity to take a step back and actually reflect on what we're building each week And every, you know, we think of leadership sometimes as making a decision and we have an idea of some corporate type leader, but leadership is decisions and they're the small decisions often that is forming a people. And storing that and being very careful with what we do with that. I think the longer I've been a pastor, the more mindful I am, the little decisions along the way, the decisions, whether it's teaching or decisions of what we profile or what we emphasize, all of those things are messaging things. And that's part of spiritual formation. Uh, In conclusion, guys, uh, and maybe I'll turn to you, Van, first. You know, when we were prepping just for this time with all of you online, I asked them, and uh, it, it came out of them, you know, I, I love how much they love pastors, and I, I know firsthand listening to some of you guys and just coming alongside other pastors, you got a lot in your plates right now. I know preaching and teaching comes with regularity, but there's uh, finances, there's deacons, there's uh, there's fear, there's all kinds of things coming at you guys at the same time, and everyone wants you to predict what the future is going to look like on the other side of this. and. Uh, And I, you know, I was was so encouraged just listening to Peter and Van, both mindful of uh, the fact that as pastors, you preaching and teaching is an important, but it's an aspect of what you do. There's care, there's funerals, there's, there's coming alongside of people with deep problems in this moment. But so maybe just some words of encouragement, Van, maybe just some parts of uh, maybe how the pastors and teachers could be focusing themselves in this moment. And then Peter, and then I'll just wrap it up here.
0: So I'm going to take something from Luke and I'm going to read you the verse that was my favorite verse in high school. And it was my favorite because I misunderstood it. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. That was my life verse in high school. I went to youth on Friday night. I was in church all day Sunday. But for my faithfulness, God would give me the girl, the car, the job, the home. I love that verse. And I get to seminary and realize I might have gotten it a little wrong. with something called context, where Jesus is talking about like, look at there's a lot of stuff here about how God takes care of what uh, what flowers need and birds need. And then it became my favorite verse again. And uh, this morning, getting ready, I thought, I'm going to talk about this. What this now says to me is that in light of God's calling on my life, if I pursue that, he'll give me everything I need to accomplish it. My word of encouragement to all of you is, well, we didn't see all of this coming. And it seems like we are quickly nerved, unnerved by the fact that some of our resources are not as easily accessed. But the word of the Lord is to me, and I think to you, is that as we keep pursuing this, uh, he'll give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And for that, uh, I think we're all grateful.
1: Uh, Pretty hard to top what Van has just said there um i uh, i think that the lord gives us resources uh, as he for to fulfill anything he's called us to do and uh in the midst of that he asks us to trust so i would just return to a couple of things that um have been mentioned through our discussion here um learn to it's it's okay to be patient with our, yourself right now in the middle of this uh, and to not necessarily feel the need to let every cultural expectation out there by which our culture would uh, assess whether we are successful or not. I don't think God has the same things in mind as for whether pastors and ministers are being successful. And if we keep up with that, it's going to wear us out. And and, and so, uh, you know, within we've mentioned a lot today about things that will challenge us. Um, you know, putting things into an eschatological framework. But behind all of this is the only reason God would ever want to challenge us is because he loves us and there's something better in mind for us. So he's with us. He really is. And it is a good time to be a Christian uh, because the Holy Spirit is always present with us and will help us do what he's called us to do. So um, let's, let's ask the Lord to help elevate our faith and elevate our trust so that we're not uh, stirring up anxiety within ourselves or those expectations and really um, recapture that biblical narrative where I think that Jesus can say, yeah, I've asked you to carry some things, but as opposed to what the world will ask you to carry, my burden is my burden's light, my, my yoke is easy in comparison to that. And if we find ourselves getting too stressed out, it may be that we're trying to carry something that he hasn't asked us to carry And I have to talk to myself about that uh, a lot as well.
2: Thanks guys, Uh, that was fantastic. In the chat room, Matt will be putting up all of uh, the social media as well as websites and things that you'll be able to follow uh, Van and Peter, uh, as well as their bibliographies. Maybe we can send out a PDF that would help with some of the uh, source material for some of the things that they shared. Uh, we want to have moments where we can equip you. And, you know, I think even as Peter and Van were just summing that up, I was thinking about how much over 20-some years of ministry, uh, how my heroes have changed. I think when I was younger, my heroes uh, were those who seemed to do dynamic things. Uh, I think it was maybe my Pentecostal leanings and the way I was raised. And, uh, boy, my heroes have shifted to those who uh, were faithful and finished well. I think of, and in my context, it's the Stuart Mulligans we celebrated this last year. It's the Charles Yates, who was a great friend of mine, who finished his race well. And I like what Peter said, you know, uh, it's really important that we not put on ourselves uh, weights of what success looks like. I think success is being faithful, faithful to his word, faithful to Jesus, faithful to his people, faithful to his church. And we're going to be imperfect in that, but... You know, we want to encourage you and I hope this was encouraging to you and helpful also. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, uh, Van. And thanks, Peter, if you want to say goodbye and we'll have, uh, have a great week, guys.
0: Yeah, great. Bye. Thanks, John. Bye. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of MCS Pentecost, podcast produced by Masters College and Seminary. MCS Pentecost are available online at MCS and also through iTunes Podcasts. Master's College and Seminary offers biblical, theological, and practical courses from a Pentecostal perspective at both undergrad and graduate levels. For more information on graduate courses offered through the seminary in Toronto, Canada, visit mpseminary.com. For undergrad courses at Master's College in Peterborough, please visit mcs.edu.